invite you to open your Bible with me again to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, this morning we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 14. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 14. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 again so that we catch the context and we'll read through verse 14. Let's give our attention to God's precious word. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we should no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace." Let's ask the Lord to bless as we open his word. God in heaven, we come now to the word that you've given by the spirit of Christ. And uh, we thank you that same spirit has been given to us now to understand it. And so we eagerly look forward, Lord, for your instruction as you teach us the paths that we should go. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're dealing with one of the most important and yet most painful aspects of the Christian life, and that is the battle with sin, a battle that every child of God experiences, because when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit regenerated your heart and gave you new desires for godliness, and that spirit now wages war with the desires of your flesh. Unfortunately, this battle is one of the most misunderstood aspects of the Christian life. Let me just give you three quick common misunderstandings when it comes to the Christian battle with sin. I'm sure we could add more uh, misunderstandings. Maybe the most common false assumption is that real Christians don't struggle that much with sin. I mean, they, they stumble once in a while, but there's not a, a, a real battle taking place. Uh, young people commonly uh, make this mistake and have this false assumption because you, you see it in their hesitation to make profession of faith, 
because their struggle with sin has them doubting that they're actually uh, a real Christian, or at least authentic enough of a Christian to profess their faith. Happens all the time. A second uh, and equally common mistake is the idea that, that uh, sanctification is primarily up to us, that uh, we think of sanctification much in the same way we think of losing weight. Uh, it's a matter of applying sufficient willpower. It's a matter of making better choices, learning better habits, just being a better person. It's up to you. <clears throat> well, that's, that's not the Christian doctrine of sanctification. That's just religious moralism. A third common area is that we really can't expect to grow that much. We can maybe make small steps, small progress here or there, but, but you know, the Bible says everything we do is tainted with sin. Our best works are like un- filthy rags, uh, which is a text taken completely out of its context and misapplied uh, to, in, in that case. It's not what Isaiah means. But anyhow, that's, that's the kind of the idea that people have, and so we shouldn't expect radical heart change or a truly transformed life. We just kind of stumble along and, and do the best we can. Well, praise God, none of those things are true. None of those things are true. First of all, real Christians do struggle with sin. In fact, it, it's basically the identifying mark of a Christian. It's what we do. We fight sin. I uh, don't know why, but I'm starting to get uh, ads for grandpa stuff when I'm online. <laughs> uh, for instance, there's a hat that I actually kind of like. It, it, uh, the hat says, uh, I fix stuff and I know things. That's what I do. <laughs> That's a good grandpa hat, right? I fix stuff and I know things. That's what I do. Well, a good Christian hat would say, I fight sin and I hold on to Jesus. That's what I do. I fight sin and I hold on to Jesus. That's what we do. So if you're fighting and battling with sin today, it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It means you're exactly in the conflict that God has called you to in Christ. Secondly, real Christians do grow in in godliness. They do do grow in holiness, not by their own efforts, but by the power of God. Paul will say that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in us, and therefore we can have absolute confidence that this battle is going to have a good outcome. God has determined to make us His holy children, and God's purposes never, ever fail. And so although we can acknowledge that not all of God's children make the same progress, all of God's children grow by the same power, and all of God's children attain the same glory in the end. Well, in our text this morning, Paul is going to begin now to talk to us about how do we we engage in this fight. We have been called to be saints. That's how he opens the letter, remember? To those in Rome, loved by God and called to be saints. That's not just God's invitation to be better. That's God's sovereign decree that we shall be sanctified to the uttermost. That's God's calling on our life. And and so Paul's talking to us as saints, as people who have died to sin in Christ, raised to life with Christ, and now live to God. That's who we are. It's our identity. 
And now in verses 12 through 14, Paul is going to begin talking about what that life looks like, how we engage in a life lived to God as we battle with sin. This morning we're going to see there are four steps, four strategies that Paul gives us. This is, uh, these are just basic gospel truths, but essential gospel truths uh, for us to make progress by the power of God. And so let's begin. The first step, the first strategy, I'm just entitling it, Stand on the Gospel. Stand on the Gospel. So notice what Paul says. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. just want you to notice that Paul is he's fixing the command, let not sin reign. He is fixing that on the massive foundation that he's laid and is linking it with the word therefore. Therefore points us directly to everything he's already said. And so we can't overlook it. We, we need to remember where we are in the book because Paul is, is starting now to talk about sanctification, the process whereby God is making us holy. But we need to remember that we are in chapter 6 not chapter 1. Now, that might seem obvious to you, but let me explain why it matters. People often assume that the first chapter in Christianity is the moral code. If you want to be a Christian, this is what you need to stop doing. This is what you need to start doing. you got to stop partying, and you have to start going to church you got to stop doing these wicked things and start doing these righteous things. Everyone assumes that. So when you invite someone to be a Christian, what they're thinking is you're inviting them to a certain moral code. But that is not Christianity. Paul has spent five full chapters talking about the reality of sin and the glory of the doctrine of justification before he says a single word about morality. And that matters. That, that, that matters the world. You see, the Christian battle with sin takes place on this massive foundation of grace and, and gospel truth that Paul has laid down and specifically on the doctrine of justification. It is only after you've understood that Christ died for you while you were yet a sinner. It's only at when you understand that, Christ, that God justifies the ungodly, not the, the, the good person, the ungodly person. It's only when you understand that, that God is willing in Jesus Christ to uh, atone all of your sin and to robe you in an alien righteousness. It's not your righteousness. It's His, Christ's. Freely given to you when you were completely lost and dead in your sin. So that God now relates to you in a completely different way. And you are a completely different person. That's the foundation you have to stand on if you're going to engage in Christian transformation. And the reason I want to pound that home is that there's so many Christians who don't begin there. Uh, who profess to be a Christian, but, but they immediately get on to, uh, I need to change my life. Well, that maybe is true, but you can't 
do that un unless you take seriously chapters 1 through 5. You're never going to get chapter 6 figured out. You're never going to experience the reality of chapter 6 in your life if you ignore chapter 1 through 5 and specifically 321 through the end of chapter 5. And then deal really with the first 11 verses of chapter 6, your identity. It's just this huge, massive foundation that Paul has laid, and, and you've got to stand there. You've got to begin there. Only then, you see, will your battle with sin be a Christian battle with sin. The Christian battle with sin is defined by where it stands. And if you don't stand there, then whatever you're doing is just going to be one more failed and flawed attempt to try to make yourself better and make yourself worthy of grace, and God wants nothing to do with it, and it's not Christian, and there's no power in it. And so the therefore here is critical. Do not let sin therefore reign in your mortal body. We need to understand, you see, that the only conquerable sin is the already forgiven sin. And the only person who will grow in sanctification is the person who lays with firm grasp on the truth of justification. That's the person that's going to grow. Because that person is convinced of God's grace and rests in God's grace and battles in God's grace. And so Paul, as he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, is also explaining the reason why. He's explaining that we're these new people in Jesus Christ. Got a new identity. We've died to sin. Uh, we're not that person anymore. Uh, boys and girls, <clears throat> imagine that this summer you moved to a new house, maybe the other side of town. And um, you spent the summer getting moved in, and then the fall comes, it's time to go back to school. And, and on the first day of school, your, your mom says to you, now remember, you can't get on bus number five like you always used to. You got to get on bus number 13. And you say, why? And she'll say, well, because bus number five goes to your, our old house, and we don't live there anymore. You gotta, bus five isn't going to get you home. You've got to take a new bus that deals with the new reality. Well, but Paul, in, in a similar way, is saying, we don't let, sin, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Why? Well, because you don't live there anymore. You're a new person. You belong to the category of the redeemed and the regenerated and the resurrected. And that old bus isn't going to get you home. You belong to God. You've been called to be saints. And in that reality and out of that reality, because of that reality, well, you, you go to war with your sin. John Stott says this. He says, regenerate Christian people should no more contemplate a return to unregenerate living than adults to their childhood or married people to their singleness or discharged prisoners to their prison cell. For our union with Jesus Christ has severed us from the old life and committed us to the new. This is what we do. We fight sin and we hold on to Jesus. We fight sin, we stand on justification, and we, and we engage in the war for sanctification. And so that's Paul's first command, the first step. Stand on the foundation. Stand on the gospel. Secondly, face the enemy. 
Face the enemy. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions and desires. You just need to realize that there's this principle, this power that Paul calls sin that is seeking to reign in your life. It wants to control you. It wants to dominate you. It's waging a war against you, against your soul. Peter says that in 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You are facing a thing, a something Right? It's, in, in fact, remember we talked last week where Paul said, you know, I, I don't do the thing I, I want to do. And if that's the case, then I realize it's no longer I who do it, but sin that's living in me. There, in some way, we can, we can step outside of ourselves and see what's going on and recognize there's a power at work in me that doesn't belong to me. We easily just say, well, you know, I just, I've done this and I've done this and, 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 and we just load ourselves with loathing and guilt and, and, well, yes, you did do it and you did say it and it was stupid and it was wrong and hurtful and, and you need to confess it and, and maybe make amends. However, however, if you are a child of God, there's an appropriate way for you to say, that's not me. There is a thing called sin that dwells within me, but it's not me. And, and, and I'm called to engage that, that something, the, the, what Paul will call the flesh, the desires of the flesh. I'm, I'm called to recognize that doesn't belong to me, that's not my identity, and, and that's uh, the enemy that I face. And it's seeking to control me, it wants to dominate me and direct my life. It wants to destroy me. But by the grace of God, it's not going to. I don't have to listen to it. I don't have to follow it. I can face it square up and say, no. Sin wants to enslave us. We all know what that feels like. You, you know what the power of sin feels like. Some of you are in the grip of maybe a great temptation or a great battle right now. You're battling with pornography. You're battling with a drug addiction or alcohol addiction. You're battling maybe just with self-pity. You're battling with the sin of your, of your mouth. Whatever it might be. You know you shouldn't be there. You know you shouldn't go there. And yet, and yet you find the power of that sin is at work. Yeah, that's the battle. Maybe today you're, you're wondering, does Christianity work at all? Why, why, do I, why do I have to fight like this? Why can't God just take it away? Maybe you're asking those questions this morning. Maybe you're a young person, and I've just described your life. I just want you to know that every godly, mature believer in this room knows exactly what that battle with sin is like. There is not a single Christian who will say, I don't really understand what you're talking about. I don't really experience any power of sin in my life. And, and if they do, just report them to me. Because <clears throat> I'd like to figure out what's, what's the secret. You see, your experience in the battle is not at odds with the Christian life. It is the Christian life. What you're experiencing is the reality of the power of sin, that the power that seeks to control and reign over you. That's what Paul's talking about. Don't let it do it. 
Because it's trying to. It wants to. So, so we start off by standing on the foundation and we face the enemy. We acknowledge the war and we fight as resurrected people. Remember Paul is talking to people who he's, he's convinced have been set free in Christ from the guilt of sin and the condemning power of sin and are one day going to be free of the presence of sin and it's in that context that he says, let's stand and fight for holiness. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, we have to recognize here just quickly that it is possible for Christians to be trapped in sin. Paul will speak in Galatians 6. If anyone is caught in a sin, then brothers are to restore him gently. It's possible for Christians to be addicted to drugs and pornography. To, um, you, can be, you can be addicted to a sense of entitlement. And so you just complain. You can be, you can be addicted to, your, to pride. You can be ad- addicted to gluttony or to greed. You can be addicted to a, an idolatrous desire for comfort. But, though a Christian can be caught and trapped in a sense in those sins, the child of God will never make peace with those sins. The child of God will not surrender. He will not just say, well, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it's going to be. There's nothing I can do. I quit. I'm not going to fight anymore. Child of God will not be able to say that. You see, because it's precisely because we have died to sin in Christ, uh, we've come alive in Jesus Christ, and we are free from the reigning power of sin, that we will fight against it. We, we will continue to press on. We realize we are part of a holy rebellion, and we're not going to simply lay down when it comes to our fight with sin. We're going to fight. We're not going to surrender. I love Churchill's speech, the dark days of World War II, when he rallied his nation with this determined will to fight. We shall not flag nor fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds, in the fields. We shall fight in the streets and on the hills. We shall never surrender. Well, that's exactly how a Christian talks. That's exactly how a child of God talks. We will fight because the Spirit of God is within us. We will never surrender. Because God has promised victory to us. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions, to make you obey its sinful desires. Fight. But then notice thirdly, and this is critical, what Paul says. Don't just face the enemy. Live for God. Face God. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. I love Paul's commands here. I I love that he doesn't stop when he says, uh, don't present your members to sin, period, end, stop. Just stop doing that. He doesn't, it's not where he stops. Far too often, that's where we stop. 
as we're right making demands on ourselves or others. We, we just go to a simple prohibition. I remember once talking to a, a pastor who meant well, um, but talking about miss my battles with the lust of the flesh, and, and, uh, and his, his counsel to me is, well, you need to stop. And I thought to myself, I didn't need to come here to know that. <clears throat> That's true. I don't know how. I don't have power. Paul doesn't stop with a simple prohibition because there's no power in a simple prohibition. There's no power at all. The power for transformation does not come from what you decide you're not going to do for the thousandth time, but what you intentionally pursue. And that's what Paul says. Present yourselves to God. Notice how he says it in the text. Because you would expect him to say, let not sin, or do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present your members to God as, in, as instruments for righteousness. That would be a complete thought, right? It would be a nice parallel, parallelism there. But it's not what he says. He gives the, the, the prohibition, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But then he inserts this, this thought, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. That's the first place you go. Present yourselves to God first. It's, it's so critical. This was the motto of John Calvin's life, right? If you call yourself a Calvinist, to be a Calvinist doesn't just mean you believe in TULIP or the five points of Calvinism. Uh, to be a Calvinist, in truth, would be to adopt his, the motto for his life. The motto for his life was, my heart I offer to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. That's a Calvinist. That's a Christian. My heart I offer to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely and in truth. You see, the, the disposition of a Christian can't just be, I need to turn away from this sin. Any, any moral person can do that. Any self-righteous person could do that. That's what the Pharisees did, right? They had their laws, and they said, this is what God says. We, you know, we can't do this, so, so they, they said, then we're not going to do that, <laughs> right? And, and yet, they didn't present themselves to God. Jesus comes along and says, these, per, these people worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And far too often, professing Christians try the same trick. We seek to turn away from the sin without making the first matter of importance turning to God, turning to His Word, turning to prayer, presenting themselves to God, to have a real authentic relationship. Because so often what we try to do is we try to clean ourselves up, and then after we get that done, then we'll go to God. It's exactly the wrong order. It's going to breed nothing but despair and lost hopelessness. Present yourselves to God. And notice, we don't present ourselves to God as success stories. We don't present ourselves to God armed with our good intentions and our renewed, uh, renewed promises to do better. How many times haven't we done that? We present ourselves to God as recipients of His grace. That's how we come. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought, past tense, have been brought from death to life. In other words, you present yourself to God as a beloved child. You present yourself to God as someone who's been raised from the dead in Jesus Christ. 
You present yourself to God as someone who's already been saved, already been rescued, made alive, someone who belongs to God. All the promises of God are yes to you in, in, in Jesus Christ. And so you, you, you present yourself to God then as those who belong to him by grace and those who are now striving to walk in the freedom that you already have in Jesus. The freedom that belongs to you. How do you do that practically and specifically? How do you present yourself to God? Very simply. First of all, you, you go to God in prayer and you consciously, purposefully, Offer yourself to Him. You, you don't just live your Christian life thinking that as long as you believe certain things are true and, and you go to church, that's, that's, all, that's all there is to it. That, that's just the external shell. The, the Christian life is that you realize that in Jesus Christ, you have access to God and that you go to him specifically and you offer your life, yourself, to God. And you say, Lord, here I am, and it's not much, but I want to give it all to you. My, my, my gifts, my time, my possessions, my, my, my future, my dreams, whatever it might be, Lord, I just want to give it all. I present it all to you. It's not mine. It's yours. It's a very freeing experience. Because we're holding on to all these things. Our, our time. We want our time and our, our reputation and our future and our family and our dreams and, and our, our success. We're holding on to all these things. And, and Paul says, present yourself to God. I, God, I offer myself, my whole heart, my whole life, promptly and sincerely. And I want, it, I want it all to be at your disposal. My time, my family, my mind, my desires, my entertainment, my sex life, my money, my career. Every day you give to me, I want, I want all of it, Lord, to be given to you for you to use however you choose for your end, your purpose, your glory. I don't belong to me any longer. I offer it all to you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? There are all kinds of Christians who've never done that. They just sort of assume that they're kind of living their Christian life for God. They've never, they've never sat down specifically on their knees before the Lord and, and offered it to Him. Well, that's what, that's what Paul calls us to and, to, and, and as a continual way of life. This isn't something you did three years ago. This is something that you, we are continually engaged in. Lord, because we'll take it back, won't we? Over and over, we try to take it all back. And we just have to offer ourselves again and again. Offer yourself to God. That's where you start. If you don't do this, then don't go past go, right? You don't, you don't move beyond this. Or don't, don't go forward until you've done this. That's what I mean to say. This is where we start. We offer ourselves to God. And then we offer the members of our body as instruments for righteousness. You see, again, the way to, to fight sin is not simply by resisting sin. Uh, a, 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 a block, a filter on your internet is only going to accomplish so much. It might be able to prevent you from getting access to what you want, but it cannot change what you want. It can't change what you want. 
And you don't want to stop as a frustrated sinner. You want to move forward to a fulfilled, happy, thankful, transformed saint. And, and, and so how does that happen? Well, Paul says the way to fight sin is not just by resisting it, but by intentionally pursuing tangible acts of righteousness. So if, if, as you're fighting with sin, you start by you, you, making it a point each day to use the members of your body, the parts of your body, as instruments of righteousness. So you start turning to other people. Start right at home. What, could, what would it look like for you to present your, the instruments of your body, your, your ears and eyes and mouth and hands, to intentionally serving the members of your family? If you're struggling with pornography, okay, what, what would it look like for you to, to die to those desires by thinking about what does it mean to give myself in a holy, God-honoring way to my wife sexually? And what would, what, would that, what would that look like? You see, there's a, it, it's, it's this positive pursuit. That's, that's where the power comes from. And then start looking around. How could I bless other people? Uh, how could I use my hands? Maybe to write a card of encouragement and send it off. That would be a great way to use your hands. Maybe use your money to sponsor a missionary or a, foreign, a, a child in a foreign country. Uh, maybe you could use your time and offer it to God by, by mentoring uh, a child right now in our community who, who could use help and, and a big brother. Use your ears intentionally to listen to people. Use your mouth to intentionally bless people. Use your feet to walk alongside people. All in Jesus' name, all because you are alive to God. You're, the battle with sin is not fought by simply saying no, no, no. The battle with sin is fought by saying yes to this and yes to that. Every way that you can use the members of your body to serve Jesus Christ and to bless other people in his name, you say yes to that. You see, because that's living out your identity. That's living out the new person that you've become in Jesus Christ. And maybe that would be the list of things, to, the list to keep of not just how long has it been since I lost my temper, but when's the last time I just used my mouth to bless, profusely bless somebody and encourage and build somebody up in Jesus' name. Friends, that's how the change happens. And then finally, very quickly, believe the promise. Believe the promise. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. That's the promise. It will not. It will not have dominion. Not lasting dominion. Why not? Because you're not under law. You see, the power of sin is the law. The power of sin is the law. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 57. The power of sin is the law. It is the law that condemns us. It's the law that, that crushes us, but, but we've been set free from that law. In Jesus Christ, right? He took that law and nailed it to the cross. That's who we were in Adam. It's not who we are anymore. Um, we're not under law. We're under grace. We live under the banner of God's grace, which means God is, is not dealing with us according to our sin and according to the law. We've got to get this through our head. I'll probably next time we come to this, Lord willing, spend some more time on this. Because, because so easily Christians deal with God as if the law principle is still functioning, that God blesses good people and punishes bad people. And we live as if that's the, the, the nature of our relationship with God. And it's not. We just move it out of the way. The nature of your relationship with God is spelled with G-R-A-C-E. 
It's grace. Grace all the way down. Grace all the way out. Grace every day. Grace in every aspect. Grace in every detail. Grace all the time. Even when he disciplines you. It's grace. And that grace, you see, arms us for the fight. And that grace assures us that we will be conquerors, that we will be victors in the fight. We cannot lose. Because we're under grace. We're under grace. Doesn't mean we won't have to fight. Doesn't mean we won't fall. It just means that we won't lose. Sin will not win. Its reign has been destroyed. It can never again bring you under its power to condemn. It can never bring you under its power to destroy. In Jesus Christ, you are more than conquerors. And so, friends, let's live then in the grace of God. Let's live like people who've already won as we fight this battle with sin. In the confidence we win in Jesus Christ, we shall triumph. All praise to him. Let's, let's pray together. Oh, Father, you know the battles that we fight and you know how often we, we fail and fall short. And oh God, you, you know the weakness that we feel. And Lord, the times that we've despaired, that we could never change. And yet, Father, uh, you promise that we are victors in Jesus Christ. And, and no matter what sort of grip sin maybe has on our life today, in Jesus Christ, that grip is not going to last. And we're able, Lord, to present ourselves to God and, and to present our body as an instrument, a weapon for righteousness as we bless other people. And God, you promise that sin will not reign, not ultimately, it will not reign. Because we're not under law, but we're under grace. Oh, Father, I just pray that you would encourage people today who are just so wore out with the battle with sin. I pray that you would set free people who are under the power of an addiction to drugs or pornography or just sexual immorality or under the power of, Lord, an addiction to, their, to gossip and slander, under uh, an addiction to self-entitlement, self-reliance. We're working so hard to make life work by their own ability. And Father, we need to be set free. But oh God, I thank you that in Jesus Christ we are set free and we get to walk in increasing freedom and joy and growth as we present ourselves day to day to God and in our bodies to be instruments of righteousness. In the confidence, oh God, one day this battle will be done. One day we'll set it all aside and we will walk in perfect freedom with a glorified body and soul in the presence of God to live with you forever. May that day come soon. In Jesus' name, amen.